right, you lovely lot. You like to grab a seat, grab your coffee, grab a donut. Uh, it's great to see you. My name is Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. If you're new here or visiting this morning, you, as Kate said, you're incredibly welcome. Uh, you'll see one of the black pouches just in front of you, one of these green connect cards. Uh, do fill that out. Uh, scribble down a little bit of information, your you know, name and address and email or contact number, stuff like that. And um, hand, it into the, uh, hand it into the PA desk at the back. And, um, and we'll get in touch with you. You're not signing your life away. You're not... Um, you're not signing a life away, just so that we can get in touch with you and, um, and help connect with you. So it would be great to, to do that. So we're in uh, week two of Advent, and we're, we're turning our attention to the coming of the King. Just done that in an incredible way this morning with worship, and um, just beautifully done, and uh, we're going to carry on doing that this morning just by looking at the scriptures. Last week, we took a look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. This week, we're going to take a look at the life of Joseph. So if you've got a Bible, I haven't done a PowerPoint, so you'll need a Bible. Um, I know, sacrilege. Um, chapter, Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. There are some Bibles up here on the front, if you haven't got one. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read the whole of the chapter. Settle in. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Aminadab. What? I know. It all had to go wrong. Ram. They're easy ones. I can do this. Ram was the father of Aminadab. The father of... Um, father of... Father of... Naish, oh God, what did I do this for? The father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Yeah, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to the Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Fathers. Okay? A long list of fathers. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. 
Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to, name, to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, apart from a very long and distinguished genealogy, uh, we don't know very much about Joseph. Joseph sort of comes off the pages of the Gospels. Uh, We kind of read between the lines, and he's this sort of um, strong, uh, silent type. Uh, he's, he's quietly dependable. Uh, he, he's a good and God-fearing uh, man. But when you look at the gospel account, you're never really quite sure what he's thinking. Um, all you know is that if you landed the role of Joseph in the school nativity, which was kind of a bit of a coup, um, particularly if you fancied Mary, uh, if you got the role of Joseph in the land of nativity, what you knew was that all you were going to have to do was um, put on your tea towel, get your dressing gown belt, back in the old days when they were corded proper dressing gown belts with little tassels, um, ladybird, what happened to them? And um, uh, put on your tea towel, corded dressing gown, uh, and lean on your staff and sort of looked wistfully into the middle distance and you knew that you'd pretty much nailed it. You weren't going to have any lines. Um, That was the role of Joseph. And the truth is, uh, Joseph can really, he can come across, at least on occasion, um, uh, as a chap who sort of leads this life of quiet resignation. Sort of, you know, you can imagine him contemplating in his workshop. He's got his little workshop out back, and he's planing bits of wood, and just kind of wondering how life ever ended up quite like this. And to be honest, I don't think that's a very fair portrait of the man chosen by God, almighty God, to raise his only son, Jesus. So what I'd like us to do in the very short space of time that we have left uh, is to move Joseph round from the back of the manger, um, where he sort of stands like a stable bouncer, um, you know, keeping sort of the angels and the shepherds and the magi and the innkeepers, all these kind of hordes of people. He keeps them all in check with a sort of a dark scowl. Uh, and perhaps suggests three other slightly more powerful, slightly uh, more hopeful images of who uh, Joseph is. And, and those three things are this. Um, I think that in and through Joseph, what we're actually seeing is the father heart of God. Read the whole of the genealogy because I wanted us to see the lineage of fatherhood, the lineage of fathers. And I think that through Joseph we see the exemplification, I think we see the epitome, and I think we see the embodiment of nothing um, 
nothing less than the Father heart of God himself. So the exemplification, the epitome, and the embodiment of the Father heart of God. So Joseph, he's this, I think he's this exemplification of extravagant sacrifice. The extravagant sacrifice of the Father heart of God. And when you look at the life of Joseph, like most good fathers, uh, any of us who've had good fathers modeled to us, we would see and we'd know and we'd recognize that most good fathers are in fact willing to spend themselves. They are in fact willing to spend their lives. They are willing to waste their lives, often a great inconvenience to themselves um, in the sacrifice of themselves for their children. And we see Joseph doing that very thing, sacrificing and laying down his life to see and to ensure that Mary and um, son, Jesus, are safe. And you've got to ha- I think you've got to hand it to Joseph. Right? He's, he's, got it, like, he's a hero. There's no two ways about it. He's an absolute hero. Here he is. He's pledged to be married to this young girl. And he discovers that she's pregnant. And he may not know much, but he knows that it wasn't him. Okay? He knows that it wasn't him. And so, kind of fair play, he sort of says, I'm not sure this is going to work out actually quite the way that we thought. And so, what he plans to do, honorably, respectfully, he plans to separate from her quietly. And then, of course, because we're in Matthew, an angel appears to him in a dream And um, suddenly everything changes. He has this dream, this intervention from God, and and he just goes along with it. He goes with it. Awesome. He becomes convinced that it was, in fact, nothing less than God's lavish love that was behind Mary's wild, wild story. And so uh, what he does is he risks everything. He risks everything that matters in his day. He, he risks his reputation, he risks his, his business partnerships, he risks his family relationships, he risks his standing in the community. These are all big sacrifices. And he chooses extravagant uh, sacrifice. And he chooses to be sacrificial. He chooses to sacrifice himself and sacrifice and risk all of those things to be obedient to the Lord, to take Mary Um, as his wife, and to raise Jesus as his son. And so what he does, he lays everything else aside. What Joseph does is he stays constant and unchanging through this whole story uh, in this extravagant and sacrificial love. So here he is, this exemplification of extravagant love, extravagant love demonstrated by the the father heart of God, I think. And... so I understand this a little bit more. Let's have a look at another, just a quick look at another very familiar passage of Scripture um, and see how that helps us further understand this idea of extravagant sacrifice. Turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, I think we're going to read from um, verse 11. It's very familiar to many of you who looked at this recently. It's the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, verse 11, Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divides his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything 
there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And if Joseph is the exemplification of this extravagant, extravagant sacrifice, the, the prodigal father here in this parable, this famous parable of Jesus, is the epitome of this extravagant sacrifice. Just as Joseph's heart is full of this, extra, I think this extravagant, reckless, sacrificial love for his, um, his little family, so too we see exactly the same heart being expressed uh, through the father in this story that is usually referred to as the prodigal son. And you'll have heard me say before, I, I don't think it should be called um, the prodigal son. I think it's, it should be better called the prodigal father, the prodigal God. Um, if you look up the word prodigal, I had never actually, I, I, always, I always thought that prodigal meant, you know, the guy who kind of wandered off into the wilderness, you know. Um, if you look up prodigal in the dictionary, um, it fits and describes the father, I think, much more than it does the son. The defini dictionary definition of, of prodigal is, is lavish and extravagant. You know, the son is lavish and extravagant in his wastefulness, and the father is prodigal in his lavish and extravagant, incredible generosity. You see this incredible extravagance, this, this generosity, this, again, sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. Um, through the father... And through the heart of the father, the father lavishes and has towards his son. You think of the story. Here's this, this young man. He goes up to his father and he goes, You look like you, dad, you look like you've got loads of, loads of cash, right? Loads of everything. I don't you really need it all. Let me, let me relieve you of the burden of all of this land and property and cash and uh, let me have my share now. I've got a life to lead. I've got people to see, places to go, uh, and, and cash would make that really easy. And, and you're sort of incredulous on the one hand that he even asks for it, but then you're blown away by the fact that the father's response to his son is that his father gives it to him. He gives him his inheritance, and the father says, there, have it, take it, take it all. And we're like, kind of, what's going on? You know, what's wrong with the father? Can the father not see? Can he not recognize? Does he not understand that, that his son is taking advantage of him? Does he not know what his boy is going to do with the money? He's just going to go off and he's going to waste it. We can see this coming. We're like, what's wrong with the father? Can he not see that coming? 
doesn't he realize that his son's not even likely to say even thank you? But the father is prodigal. The father is extravagant. The father is lavish and abundant with his generosity. And he gives, him the, he gives the son the inheritance and he just lets him go. But not only is he lavish, not only is he prodigal in his um, generosity, do you see how, how prodigal, how lavish, how extravagant he is in his, um, in his forgiveness and in his welcome back? So his boy goes and does exactly and probably everything more and much more than we could ever imagine that he would have done. So he goes off, squanders it all, uh, and whatever happens. And so he finds himself in a situation where it's like, I don't know what to do with myself. I know I'm going to go back to my father's house, and I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And he goes back to his father's house, and the father's prodigal, lavish, extravagant forgiveness and welcome You see it in verse 20, and he says, while he was still a long way off, the father's been looking out for his son every day, looking out for his son coming back, coming home. While he's still a long way off, his father saw him and is filled with compassion for him. And he he runs to his son, and he throws his arms around his son, and he kisses his son. Extravagant, lavish sacrifice. For some of us, we might be tempted to say something along the lines of, ah, I see you finally come to your senses. Or I knew this was never going to work out. I knew this wasn't a good idea. Some kind of reproach, some kind of correction, some kind of discipline, some kind of I told you so. And not so with this father. Not, not even a whiff of it. Not even a hint of it. He doesn't even listen to what his son's saying. He just says to his servants, verse 22, quick, 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 quick bring the best robe. Bring the, breast, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Go and get the fattened calf. Kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. The extravagant, lavish, abundant, sacrificial love of a father. And if Joseph and the prodigal father are examples, are pictures, are, are, are metaphors, if you like, of this extravagant sacrificial love. Um, our Heavenly Father is the, is the embodiment of it. Our Heavenly Father embodies this extravagant sacrifice. Sometimes people will say to me, I, sometimes in the conversations I'm having with people, um, people will say something along the lines of, you know, well, what sort of God is this, you know, that you keep talking about, Neil? You know, what, what's, he, what's it like? What's he like? Um, well, he's a prodigal God. That's what he's like. I'm talking about a God, describing a God, uh, our Heavenly Father, whose love for us is extravagant, whose love for us is, is, is lavish, whose love for us is abundant, whose love for us is fierce, furious, passionate. And our entire lives, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we recognize it or not, the Father heart of God is looking out for us. While we were still a long way off, he sees us and has compassion on us. Whether we see him or not, he sees us. While we're still a long way off, and he has compassion on us. And whether we acknowledge it or not, 
whether we recognize it or not, God's extravagant love will follow you all the days of your life. God's sacrificial love is pursuing you. Um, he is wooing you, even right here, right now, this morning, in this slightly random school. The, the spirit of the living God is wooing you. He is pursuing you. He is, um, he is willing to do anything, whatever it takes, even sacrificing himself to show you how much he loves you, to show you how lavish, how abundant, how prodigal his love for you is. He's even prepared to lay down himself, to lay down his own life so that every single one of us can become the very best us that we were designed to be. It's incredible that God, our heavenly Father, sends Jesus, his only son, uh, to earth. And Jesus takes on uh, human flesh. And as we, as we take time over Advent, over this, in this run-up to Christmas, before things get too frantic, these are the things that we should just be taking just some time to reflect on, thinking about. Jesus, the Son of the Most High, born of a virgin, born in a stable, raised in obscurity, living a relatively short life, and then on the moment that this man is hung and executed and crucified barbarically on a cross, at that very moment, at that very moment, in that very moment, he is saving the world. He is redeeming the world. He's rescuing every single one of us. He is restoring and renewing every single one as a physical demonstration of abundant sacrifice and his extravagant love for us because of his unconditional love for us. In, John, in 1 John 3, it says this. It says, Behold, what manner of love, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we, that we should be called, we should be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Behold, what manner of love, what kind of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon every single one of us. That we should get to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. And... Kate was talking about it earlier. She's talking about love. We all long to be loved. Loved. We all have this need. We're hardwired to be loved. Um, and we just want to be loved just as we are. We want to be accepted for who we are, for who we really are. And, and that's precisely the manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us. That each one of us gets to be called a son and a daughter of the Most High God but we're accepted and loved just for who we are. And like the son in the story, what happens is we come to our father and we say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The way I've lived life, the way I've disregarded you, the way I've just ignored you, the way I've been prodigally wasteful with the love and the things that you've given me, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And yet, how does he respond? How does our heavenly Father respond? Having already given us so much, or having already given us himself, having, having given of his son Jesus in dying for us. He then goes ahead and lavishes abundantly more upon us. He says, quick, bring the best rope. He says, get a ring, put it on. Here is a sandal, sandals for your feet. He throws his arms around us and kisses us and embraces us and scoops us up. He's not listening to anything that we're saying. Because he's saying, get the cat fattened calf. Let's, let's sacrifice the fattened calf. Let's have a party. And let's celebrate. Joseph um, sacrificed. Joseph risked his reputation. He risked his honor. He risked his good standing in the community. He risked everything to demonstrate this extravagant sacrificial love that he had. The prodigal father in the story um, he sacrificed and risked uh, his finances. Uh, he, he, he risked his relationship with his other son. Um, he, he risked so many things just to demonstrate his extravagant and unconditional love. But our Heavenly Father, he's sacrificed it all. He's given everything. Being Jesus, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. In coming to earth at Christmas, we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus emptied himself of the, the deity, of the Godhead. Didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself. And King James Version has it like this. He said, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Jesus came to earth at Christmas. We celebrate the coming of the King. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate Emmanuel. We celebrate God with us. But he... Um, came so that he could be born, so that he could die, so that we could live. And so as we turn our eyes towards the coming of the king this Christmas, what we're celebrating, um, you know, and the reason for all the presents and the food and the fun and the games and the time off work and the films and the chocolate and the wine and the champagne and just the kind of um, the wonderfully extravagant excess of it all, Okay, come to, yeah, Christmas at our house is awesome, right? There's something about the, the excess of it all that is wonderful because in it we're celebrating God the Father sending his only son. We're celebrating the holy God taking on flesh, being born of a virgin, born in a stable, and then at the time appointed to him, the Son of God, gives his life as a ransom for many at that moment on the cross. Jesus came to earth 
to live, to die, to be raised from the dead, to save the world, to redeem the world, to rescue every single one of us, to restore and to renew to its rightful order, to redeem, to bring redemption, to correct. And does so in such an incredibly abundant, lavish, wonderfully extravagant way. Why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another.